Hey guys, welcome to the Filming with Josh podcast. This is episode number 45, Why Did I Just Buy a Sony A1? This is the Filming with Josh podcast, brought to you by Rustic River Media. Welcome to the videographer's home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. Welcome back to the Filming with Josh podcast. For those of you who have been following this podcast, and for those of you who are new, thanks for joining. The Filming with Josh podcast is your home for tips, tricks, and how to make flicks. On this podcast, we talk about everything from filming to editing to photography to business. We try to discuss it all here. So be sure to go on and follow the podcast for more updates. And also join the Filming with Josh Facebook group. Go to Facebook type in Filming with Josh and ask to join the group, and I'll be sure to approve your request as soon as I see it. The Filming with Josh group is a great place to post questions or to participate in conversations around video, photography, editing, and the video business in general. So if you are interested in learning more about video or even helping educate others, join that group. We have like 650 members or so at the time of this podcast, and we're growing, and we'd love to have you there. So I'm going to just be up front and say you might hear my mouse clicking some throughout this uh, podcast today. And the reason is, uh, those of you who follow me uh, personally on Facebook know that I am big into fly fishing. And today is October 1, and every year on October 1, the Guadalupe River Trout Unlimited chapter here in uh, New Braunfels, Texas, where I live, um, sells uh, usually 900, they bumped it up to this year, but a thousand uh, private lease access passes. So you can access um, up to 14 different spots, on, uh, private spots on the Guadalupe River, which is uh, interestingly the only river in Texas that sustains trout year round. A lot of people don't even know we have that. Um, in fact, I have heard that there is actually a river in West Texas way up in the mountains that has some trout, um, but I, I don't know too much about that. But in terms of fishable trout, um, here in New Braunfels, we have the only um, river in Texas that has trout year round, and it is um, a tailwater that uh, comes out of the uh, Canyon Lake uh, dam, and it is ice cold, bone chilling cold, even in the summer, and that is why it can hold trout year round. And uh, they've been stocking it with rainbow and browns and um, some hybrids over the last uh, several decades. And a lot of these trout live all year round, and they have uh, spawned, and we have wild trout there. It's pretty awesome, um, and it is uh, free to fish. There are public access points, um, but it gets heavily trafficked because it is the only river in Texas that you can really fish for trout on. And uh, it's a great trout fishery. We have some really big trout in there. Um, and But with everybody that's moving to New Braunfels, we are the fastest growing city in the United States, unfortunately. <laughs> Good for business, bad for uh, people like me who live here and want everyone to go away and move back elsewhere. Um, but because of the influx of people here and the interest in fly fishing that has grown so much over the years, um, it has become a uh, hot spot of sorts. And I, it's a place I don't go and fish on the uh, weekends. I only go on weekdays because I want to avoid the crowds. But if you want to avoid the crowds even more, you can sign up for a uh, Trout Unlimited. Um, you can sign up for our local chapter of Trout Unlimited, which is the Guadalupe River Trout Unlimited chapter. And if you are a member of the chapter, you can apply for or try to get a lease access pass. And they, they sell up to this year now, they sell a thousand passes. And you can basically get away from the public access points and get on uh, 14 private access points with private landowners who kind of work with GTRU to create access spots um, throughout the year for, for people like me who are really uh, hardcore into uh, fly fishing and really want a you know, more private way to get in and fish with trout and not have to deal with everybody else. <laughs> so I... Um, and a thousand may sound like a lot, but like, you know, people who get that, you're, you know, they spread out and it's good for pretty much the year. So you don't have to like, you're not going to have like a thousand people on the water at once and it's really spread out. So, um, it's great. You can theoretically have the river to yourself for a day or, um, or be out there with just a couple other people. And it's really nice. And, uh, I really want that. But the problem is, is this morning, and I know I'm going on and on about this and most of you probably could care less, but the, 
<laughs> I'm just explaining in a long-winded way. The reason why you might hear some clicking in my podcast is because it, those lease access passes went for sale this morning at 7 a.m. And I got on the moment they went for sale and uh, the website crashed. So many people tried to get on to get lease access passes that we crashed the website for a second year in a row. And so I have been refreshing. It is now 10 o'clock in the morning. I've been refreshing my web uh, browser for... Um, three hours now, <laughs> trying to trying to get through um, through the crash so I can get my my pass for the year. Um, I love fly fishing. I fly fish are bass and redfish and carp and gar and cichlids and all kinds of species, but I love fishing for trout and really want a private, a private access pass. So during this podcast, you will hear me clicking as I keep refreshing, trying to get through. Now that I got that gigantic, long-winded, like, I don't know, five-minute explanation out of the way, <laughs> I'll get to today's podcast, which is why did I just buy a Sony uh, A1? And I know that for those of you listening to this podcast uh, who follow the Filming with Josh page or who follow me online, know, um, I know a lot of you know that I shoot with an FX6 and an A7S 3 and you might be wondering, why did I buy an A1? Did I buy it to replace like the FX6? Did I buy it to replace the A7S 3 Did I buy it to go with those cameras? Why did I get it? It's expensive. Do I need it? And I just kind of want to talk about that today. And I actually was supposed to be shooting a project today, um, but we had a lot of rain. And so that project uh, got uh, canceled and postponed to next week. And so I thought rather than um, waste my day, I would sit here and do this podcast and talk about um, just why I got it. And I'll also kind of briefly give my first impression from just handling it. Um, but I'm really saving more of my thoughts on it <clears throat> in terms of how I like it. I'm going to save that until I've had some time to shoot with it. Um, so I don't want to jump the gun there. Uh, but I will tell you why I bought it. And, and kind of here's why. So for me, I am, I'm a three camera shooter. I use three cameras all the time. If I'm leaving my house to go shoot a project, I almost always have three with me. Maybe not every single time, but nine times out of 10, I have three cameras. And there are three reasons for that. The first is when I do interviews, I like to shoot with three cameras. If I'm shooting a, a two-person interview, I'll have um, a wide shot that shows both people, and then I'll have um, a tight shot on person A and then on, on camera two, and then camera three will be a tight shot on person B. That way you can see them together and then you can see them individually. And then if I'm shooting uh, interviews of just a single person, I will still use three cameras because I like to have like a 35-1-4 kind of wider shot, something that kind of is, uh, includes some of the scene, some of the background a little bit, and that also gives me some uh, some space and post for things like lower thirds um, or just text info. So I like shooting like one camera on a wide shot. And a lot of times I'll even put that wide shot on a slider, a remote controlled slider that slides and pans during the interview. And then I like to have a, a second camera, usually my A camera, with a, kind of a more medium shot, something like a 51.4. And then that, that shot for me is kind of, uh, you're going from like a wide shot that kind of shows some of the background. Um, and then you're cutting from there to a shot that's a little more, um, a little bit more focused on the person and kind of sucks them out of the background a little bit. And then lastly, I'll have my third angle, which is usually a tight shot, something like the shoulders to the top of the head. And that is um, my more intimate shot. And I'd like to cut back and forth between those three. Now you could argue why not just, you know, shoot in 4K and edit to HD and crop in and to get your different angles and post. And, and I, theoretically I could do that, but I, I'm not a huge fan of cropping uh, for reframing purposes. I crop for certain things sometimes and there there is a time and a place for that. But honestly, like during an interview, for instance, cropping does not give you the same look as using a tighter lens. A tighter lens to get closer to your subject is going to create a shallower depth of field and is going to suck your subject away from the background more and is going to create more depth. Whereas if you shoot wider and you just crop in post to achieve a tighter shot, uh, 
you're not creating any additional separation. You're not um, removing the background from the person as much. You're not creating as much depth there. And so therefore, if you really want depth and you really want background separation or subject separation, optically zooming in or, or, or having a tighter lens is the better way to do that. So I don't want to just crop in to get a tighter shot in post because it's not the same thing as optically zooming in. So I'd rather use a tighter lens and shoot it the way I want it in the field. And so by using three cameras, I can create the three looks I want, get it right in the field. And when I come home, it'll just be ready to cut together and I won't be in post cutting in and out, saves me time. And I, I will have that background separation on the tighter shots when I want it. And so for me, as much as uh, I know people like to use 4K to crop in for things like interviews, that's just not my style. I, I think optically just looks better and I'd rather get it right in the field and either deliver my project in 4K or if it is HD, be able to scale my 4K down to HD and have it look really, really good. So I, that's how I shoot my interviews. So I like to shoot them on three cameras. That's, that's one way I use three cameras. The other way is live streaming. Uh, I do a lot of three camera live streams. I have a Blackmagic A10 Mini Pro um, live stream switcher and I will hook up three different cameras on inputs one, two, and three. And then input four, I usually leave open for things like slides. Like if I'm doing, a, if I'm live streaming like a, a conference, for instance, and let's say there's a bunch of guest speakers and maybe they have, uh, you know, a big drop down projector that's got sl slides, you know, you've seen this, that clicking through slides and they're talking about different topics and they have slides behind them. I'll, I'll a lot of times shoot something like that on three cameras live streaming and switch between the three. And then when, every time they click on a new slide or reference something in the slide, I'll have a fourth input that has a, 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 an input from the computer that has a slides on it. So I can pull the slides up for viewers online. That way viewers online can have three different camera angles that I cut between. And then when the slides are referenced, they can see the slide being pulled up um, for them online. And I think it's a great way to do it. Um, so for me, I like to do a lot of three camera live streams. So that's another place I use three cameras. Let me refresh my internet browser here. Come on, let me in. I really want this pass. My fear is that I'm not going to get in and some other, a thousand other people are, and I'm not going to get a pass today. I'll be really upset if that happens. Um, <laughs> anyway, so that's the second way I shoot. Um, live streaming uh, or uh, with three cameras. And the third way that I shoot with three cameras is just in general, when I'm doing any type of faster paced project, whether it's an event uh, that I'm covering or whether it's a documentary project where I'm, I'm shooting on the move or whether it's just a fast paced commercial project. Like um, I do this a lot for like different doctors and dentists and stuff where I'll go in and the first half of the day, I'm just shooting tons and tons of B-roll shots at the practice. Like say it's a dental, dental office, I'll get shots of them operating on patients and shots of patients coming in the door, shots of paper, patients uh, greeting um, the uh the uh, secretary, shots of, um, you know, establishing shots of different rooms, shots of equipment, all that stuff. And then in the afternoon or evening when the patients are all gone, I'll shoot interviews and then I'll cut, you know, all that B-roll footage to the interviews. And that's just an example of a faster paced commercial project. Slower paced commercial project for me would be where I script the entire thing out and every single shot is planned. And for something like that, that's slower paced, you take your time, you run map boxes and, you know, might put mist filters on or anamorphic filters and all this stuff, you know, that's a slower paced commercial project. But I do a lot of fast paced stuff, whether it's events, whether it's uh, going to a doctor's office and shooting a lot of B-roll, whether it's a doc project, I do a lot of fast paced stuff like that. And when I'm shooting fast paced, I like to have three different cameras set up ready to go. One with a wide lens, one with a medium lens, one with a tight lens. The wide lens camera, I usually have pretty balanced for a gimbal. So when I get there, if I need to get a gimbal shot, it's already ready to go. I can just toss it on the gimbal, get the shot, move on. Um, I might take that same camera and throw it on a tripod to get a time lapse if it's an event. I might take that camera and mount it to uh, you know, in a, in a place where I just want to get like some kind of wide establishing shot. And I just want to be able to grab that camera, get that shot, set it down, move on to the next camera. And my second camera usually has a medium uh, lens on it. I'll use it something like a, like a 24 to 70, for instance, I'll use it for getting, um, you know, a lot of your uh, more actiony type shots for your kind of 
not zoomed in real tight necessarily, but you're not super wide either. And you're just kind of getting a little bit closer to what's going on, a little bit closer to the action. Maybe if it's at a dental office, I'm get, kind of getting them picking up equipment and like operating on the patient, that kind of thing. Um, and a lot of times I'll take that lens and I'll go handheld and get a lot of handheld stuff. And then my third camera usually has a long lens, like a 7200 2.8 on it. And I'll usually have that already just sitting on a tripod. And I'll just take that camera. And anytime I want tight shots, I just simply grab the tripod. And that camera's already ready to go. And I'll get my tight shots. Um, and that's that's how I like to shoot real quick. If I need to get a, a, you know, a medium shot uh, off of a slider, I just simply grab the camera that's already got the medium lens on it and throw it on the slider, get the shot, move on. It's great. It just allows me to shoot really fast and pay more attention to the content I'm getting and less attention to having to switch gear around. So I love shooting with three cameras, whether it's interviews that are shot on three cameras, whether it's live streams that are shot on three cameras, or whether it's a three-camera fast-paced shoot where I just want to have three different lenses set up ready to go. So that's my style, and I really like it. I've been shooting that way for five or six years now. I just, I just like it a lot. And this past year, I upgraded, in the last 12 months, I have upgraded my FS7 Mark II to a Sony FX6, and I have upgraded my Sony a7 III to an a7S III, and those have been amazing upgrades. And I love those two cameras. But the challenge for me has been my third camera, which has been my a7R III. That's what I've been running. I've had an a7R III since January of 2018, so um, almost four years. It's definitely paid for itself many times over. It's a great camera. But the a7R III could not keep up with my a7S III or my FX6. It just couldn't. Um, for instance, my FX6 and my a7S III are both 10-bit 422 cameras, and they both shoot to a flavor of X XAVCI codec, and they both um, they both have uh, higher bit rates. They just have a better image, and they both have Sony's kind of newer color science. And the best way to shoot those cameras is S-Log 3S Gamut 3 Cine, and then graded and post that way. Well, the A7R 3 is an 8-bit camera. 8-bit 420 shoots to a, an XAVC-S codec and shoots to lower bit rates. And as such, it's not as capable of handling a grade and post. And so if you shoot an S-Log 3, which you can shoot an S-Log 3, on the a7R 3 but the problem is a lot of times it can't handle it because it's an 8-bit lower bitrate camera. It just cannot handle the grade the way the other twos can in S-Log 3. So what I would have to do is I would have to shoot it in S-Log 2, S-Gamut 3.7e, because S-Log 2 can handle the grade better. But the issue is when I'd get to post, I'd have two cameras that were shot on S-Log 3 and one that was shot in S-Log 2. And the one that shoot, is shot in S-Log 2, the R3, doesn't match the other two. So I'm having to spend a lot of time, you know, um, trying to, trying to get, I just had someone text me. I don't know if you heard that text. It says, man, they really messed this up. They're talking about the website crashing. <laughs> they sure did. Anyway, I'd be spending a lot of time in post trying to get my a7R3 to match my FX6 and my a7S3, trying to mess with the curves and stuff, trying to get it to be balanced, trying to match the other two. And it was just time consuming and a waste of my time and a waste of my editor's time because uh, I've been using an editor a lot these days. I've found a great editor that I do I have uh, do a lot of work for me now. And it's just a waste of our time to jack with that. And then even when we do get the log curves or the, the curves to match, the color is still different because the a7R3 is not based off of Sony's newer color science. So... When you add all that up, it just couldn't hang with the other two cameras. Not to mention, if you wanted to push the FX6 or the A7S3, if you wanted to create an interesting grade and really push the image, you could do it on those two cameras, but you couldn't on the third camera. So it drove me nuts. And the other time this comes into play is when you're shooting to a standard picture profile. Uh, the FX6 and the A7S3 both have S-Cinetone. The A7S3 did not at launch, but it, it got it eventually after um, a uh, firmware update. And the A7S3's S-Cinetone and the FX6's S-Cinetone looks really, really good. I love the out-of-camera look 
of S-Cinetone. I actually prefer it over Canon, which used to be my favorite out-of-camera look. It's amazing. And so when I'm live streaming, for instance, I want to live stream in S-Cinetone. I don't want to live stream in log, obviously. <laughs> there needs to be color. And S-Cinetone is the best out-of-box color of those two cameras. That's what I want to live stream in. But the R3 is older. It doesn't have S-Cinetone. Uh, so it didn't match. And it does, there is an S-Cinetone look-alike uh, profile online that you can find on YouTube where you can um, get like your a7 III and a7 R3 and you can dial in all these settings to try to mimic S-Cinetone. And I have done that and tested it and it's all right. But to be honest, it doesn't match. It just doesn't match the other two. And so I have two cameras shooting in S-Cinetone. They look great. And then my third live stream camera doesn't match them. It doesn't look as good. And that's a problem, right? Because when you're shooting live, <clears throat> your ability to manipulate color before it hits the air is a lot limited. And so you you really need to get it right in camera, have them all three, same picture profile, similar color science, same white balance, similar uh, exposure, so they all three match when you go live. And, and that was something I was struggling with. So those are some, the imagery behind it are some of the things that really pushed me to want to move on from the R3. Uh, it's just as much as I love it, it just it just was kind of pulling me back in, in these shoots where I'm using three cameras. Um, so that, that was kind of what spurred me to want to get something else. And I've always known I was going to replace the R3. It was just a matter of what am I going to replace it with. So that's kind of where the A1 starts to come in. Now, when you look at the Sony A1, you could look at its price tag and say, man, that's, that is an expensive camera, 6,500 bucks. No doubt about it. It's a lot of money. And you could, you could say, Josh, well, why not save that? You don't have to spend $6,500 if you want to replace your R3 with a better video camera. Just get another A7S3, right? Another A7S3 would obviously work. You'd now have two S3s and one FX6. They'd all have the same sensor. They'd match really well. Why not just get an A7S3? And that is a viable question. The other option would be an FX3. You know, why not get an FX3? It's just like the A7S3, but slightly different body configuration. Why not go that route? I mean, that's another option too. Or why not wait for the A7 IV that's supposed to come out? You know, there's all kinds of different options there. Why, why spend $6,500 and go all the way to the A1 just to replace the R3? And that's kind of what I want to work through with you to kind of help you see how I arrived at the conclusion of buying an A1. Well, first off, when it comes to the FX3, I'll tackle that camera first. Yes, the FX3 would have been a great option for me to replace my A7R3 in terms of getting a camera that can match my other two really well in the field and can fix this problem. Uh, however, I hate the FX3. I do. And and just to like further back this up, I I picked one up in in the camera store yesterday when I went to pick up uh, my my. A1 from uh, Texas Media Systems, which by the way, shout out, big shout out to Leroy at Texas Media Systems. That guy has hooked me up so much. When everyone could not find an FX6 camera and it was extremely heavily backordered and people were trying to buy it at the beginning of the year or being told it was going to be, you know, late fall before they could get one, I got one. I got one in February, early February, February 2nd. And it's all thanks to Leroy at Texas Media Systems. He helped me get one and find one quickly and got me in and got it before most people even got their pre-orders in. And he did the same thing with me again on the A1. It's really backordered right now. And uh, unfortunately, if you're listening to this podcast, as of the time of this podcast, Leroy, I've seen rumors about this, but Leroy kind of confirmed this, that he's being told by several big camera manufacturers that there's some big delays expected to come. You know, there's some chip shortages, there's some part shortages. Um, and you see this in a lot of other things right now. Uh, you know, after COVID, you see this a lot with, uh, with a lot of different things out there. But particularly in cameras coming up, they're expecting a massive shortage of cameras. And so you've got an A1 that's starting to get backordered with this thought that there's going to be um, major shortages in the future. And so even with all of that, he still was able to find me one. He found me one the week I called and asked him for one. And so like that's, to me, that's amazing. It's great customer service. And I really want to shout that out to, to Leroy and to Texas Media Systems. I highly recommend them. Even if you don't live in Texas, you can order from them online. They have great customer service and they always do things to help me find what I need and when I need it. So great company. Anyway, when I went to Texas Media Systems to pick up my A1 yesterday, um, 
I picked up an FX3 while I was there just for fun, and I was just reminded how much I hate that camera. First off, it's a lot bigger and thicker than the A7S3, and I don't like that. It, it It's like, it's not that it's like big and heavy and I hate it in terms of, it's just I don't like something that's big and heavy. It's just it felt needlessly big and heavy. When you look at the A7S III, it feels, at least to my hands, it feels great in my hands. The FX3 is significantly bigger and thicker and unnecessarily so. And Sony claims that they did that because they put a fan in there to make it control the overheating issues. But the thing is, the A7S III doesn't have overheating problems. I mean, if it's like 104 out in the middle of the summer and you're shooting outside on a bluebird sky day and the sun's beaming down on the black camera body, maybe after an hour it might overheat on you. But the point is, is it's not a camera known for overheating issues. So to make it that much bigger and thicker and to take away some of the weather sealing in the process in order to simply have a fan for a problem that doesn't exist, I thought that was just, I don't know, unnecessary. And on top of that, I hate the joystick. Oh my gosh. If you have not touched an FX3, Google it and look where they put the joystick. They put it on top of the camera. Think about it. When you hold a camera like that, your index finger and um, your other three fingers are going to be uh, on the front of the body and, you know, like the front side on the grip and your thumb is going to be on the back side. The joystick's on top. So what are you going to, you're going to use your index finger, you're going to move it up to the top to move your joystick. It just is uncomfortable. It doesn't make sense. It's not intuitive. And you can't move your thumb up there. You know, it's just in a horrible place. It's one thing to have a button on top or a wheel, but it's to have your joystick on top to where you're going to change your autofocusing points and go through your menus. That makes absolutely no sense at all. Terrible design. I would so much rather have the joystick in the back of the camera like it is an A7S III. Way faster, way more intuitive. And then they just, there's some of the other buttons they put on there just are not as quick to access or as easy to use as the S3. The S3 is way easier, way more functional, way more intuitive than the FX6. Plus, one of the best features about the A7S III is its viewfinder. The viewfinder is phenomenal. And if you don't shoot with a viewfinder, if you're one of those guys who sticks a camera out in front of your body and just holds it and looks at the screen, you're really missing out. Like learn to shoot with a viewfinder. It gives you a third point of contact when you put the camera up to your face, makes your shots more stable. And you can see so much better. The image in the viewfinder is beautiful and it's blown up and magnified so you can way have a way easier time seeing what's going on. I love working with a viewfinder. Maybe not on a tripod per se, but on a on handheld shots, stuff like that, absolutely. And even on a tripod on a bright day, the viewfinder is phenomenal. The FX3 doesn't have a viewfinder. <laughs> I don't want a camera that doesn't have a viewfinder. So because of the joystick placement, the button layout that's not very intuitive, the bigger, thicker body that's unnecessary, and the lack of a viewfinder, the FX3 to me just doesn't make sense. I think Sony would have been a lot better off saving that money in R&D and instead just making a K3M that has a built-in top handle, <laughs> essentially, so that for those of you who are buying the FX3 simply because it has a handle and built-in audio inputs, you could just have something similar to that for the A7S3. I think that would have been a lot better uh, to, to put your R&D into an accessory like that than to design a camera body that's not very intuitive and that is missing some of the best features of its sibling, the A7S III. So the FX3 to me is a camera I do not like and I do not want it, and that is part of the reason why it was not an option for me. So then you might say, well, why not then just go with an A7S III? If you don't like the FX3, just get another S3. You like it. And, and that is an option. But here's the thing. I don't want to get rid of my... A7R3, a higher megapixel, wonderful photo camera, and replace it with a second 12 megapixel photo camera. Now, I want to be clear about something. Um, megapixels are not everything. And the A7S line has its really, it has its own unique look and feel to it. And I love shooting photos of the A7S3. I, I just had this conversation with my friend uh, Kyle Bamberger uh, yesterday. We were talking about shooting photos in the A7S, and he he's the same way. He was like, man, I, I love the A7S3. I've been using it a lot for photography. It just is sharp and looks great. It has a lot of uh, highlight and shadow room, a lot of dynamic range. And 
I only have to go through 12 megapixel files, um, so I can go through my files a lot faster on Lightroom, especially when working on like my laptop. And it was, you know, it's a great, all of those are great points. And I love that about the S-Series myself. And I've shot a lot of prints over the years off my A7S one and A7S two that I've sold that you would have no idea they were shot on a lower megapixel camera. I mean, they're gorgeous shots. The reality, though, is that as much as the I like the A7S for photography, there are times where higher megapixels make more sense. And for me personally, one of those times is shooting wildlife. I do a lot of wildlife photography. Uh, it's one of the... Uh, I don't. I, I mainly market myself as a video production company, but one of the times I do get hired for photography is for um, marketing hunting outfits. That's a big thing I do. I do a lot of video and photo work for hunting outfits, and I do some like social media consulting for them, and I assist in uh, helping them get websites designed. I don't do it. I just kind of oversee website development and hire people to do it for them, and kind of participate. Uh, and getting the imagery and the, and the site layout. I kind of handle that for a lot of my clients. And when I get hired to do the photography side, I need a camera that has enough megapixels to give me crop room for wildlife shots because for hunting outfits, either the game animal or just wildlife you might see in general is a big part of the experience. And obviously you need to have good photos of that. So like when I went to Alaska in 2019, I was there for six weeks. I uh, went three weeks in the fall and three weeks in the spring. In the spring, it was for brown and black bear hunts. And in the fall, it was for mountain goat hunts. And when I was there, I'm, I was spending those six weeks of time in Alaska doing nothing but photography for their website and social media uh, ad campaigns. And I needed two different cameras for that shoot. One that always had a long lens on it for wildlife because you never know when it's going to happen, when you're going to get your wildlife shot. You just never know whether it was an animal we were after or whether it was just an eagle or uh, a moose or a sick of black-tailed deer or a wolf. Like You just never know. So you always have to have one camera ready for wildlife photography. And then I always needed a secondary camera ready to get... Um, you know, action shots, shots of people in the skiff boats, shots of people uh, with guns, shots of people glassing, shots of the yacht we stayed in, shots of the chef making food. That camera was um, always had a wide and uh, or medium lens on it. Well, my wildlife camera had to be a high megapixel camera because let's face it, um, even if you're rocking a 600 f4, a lot of times you can only get so close to an animal. It's a wild animal. It's not like you could say, you know, cue the deer and the deer comes out, <laughs> right? So you have to be able to get as close as you can, but having the resolution to be able to crop in a lot closer can really help you go from having a great shot into an epic shot. And there are a lot of shots. Like I shot this uh, this brown bear as it was coming down the beach side, and I, we were fairly close, but still a little decent far away and and I wanted to get those shots and make them closer and to be able to crop in tighter made me take what could have been a good shot into a great shot where you could see its tongue hanging out the whites of its eyes and it was awesome and the resolution gave me that so while the a7s line is great at photography when it comes to cropping in on a high resolution image on like wildlife for instance it just can't compare to something like the a7 R3. So if I was going to replace my R3 with a, another camera that can hang out video-wise with the FX6 and A7S3, that camera also has to be able to, to replace what the R3 could do photo-wise. And a second A7S3 would not do that. Um, so that's why the A7S3 for me wasn't an option. Now you could argue with that and say, well, why not keep your R3 just for photography and just get a second A7S3? And that is an option that I considered. However, I don't like having four camera bodies. I don't. I like to have uh, an FX6 case that's got the body, my FX6 body in it, and my 28-135 and all the parts and accessories. And then I like to have a backpack that's got my two photo or mirrorless bodies and all my mirrorless lenses in it. And I don't have room for a, you know, a fourth camera. And I don't want to make room for a fourth camera just so I can have one that does video well and one that does photo well. Why do that? when you can get, sorry, that's a random phone call, probably a spam. Why do that when you could have one camera body that can do both jobs? And that's where the A1 comes in. 
And there is one last argument. There are some people out there who have talked a lot about the upcoming uh, A7 IV. We all know that the A7 III is going to be replaced with an A7 IV at some point, and it's rumored to come out later this year, and it very well might. However, when's that going to be? And is it going to be available right away? Is it going to be heavily backordered? Is the chip um, issues uh, and the upcoming uh, potential shortages of camera bodies going to slow down the release? I don't really want to wait around to find out. Plus, a lot of people seem to think, and I would agree with this, that the a7 IV is probably not going to be able to do what the a7S 3 or A1 or FX3 can do video-wise. I mean, Sony can't give it 10-bit 422XAVCSI up to 4K 120. They just can't. I mean, if they did, I mean, it's possible, but I mean, I just don't think they would because it would really encroach on um, the reasoning for buying an FX3 or a, A7S 3 or A1. I just don't think they would do that. I think it's going to be limited. I think it's going to be limited in frame rates. I think it's going to be le- limited in color depth, bit rates, those kinds of things. I think it's going to be a nice camera, but I just don't think it's going to be able to do what the others can do in video. And I'm not going to wait around to find out. So as such, that really only leaves me one option. That's a Sony A1, a camera that can hang with my FX6 and my A7S 3 and in some ways surpass it in terms of video, but that can also double as an amazing high-resolution stills camera that can replace my R3. It was really the best of both worlds, and that's why I chose to get it to replace my R3 as my primary photo camera and my um, kind of third video camera. So now that I've kind of explained how I arrived at the A1, let's talk about what makes the A1 the A1. Um, You might look at the price tag and say, man, that is an extremely overpriced camera. But if you take a look at it in comparison to what it's competing with, it's actually not. Uh, The 1DX Mark III from Canon is a $6,500 camera. So is the Nikon D6. And those are both flagship uh, DSLR cameras by Nikon and Canon that are aimed towards sports photographers. And in a lot of ways, the A1 is kind of uh, competing with those two cameras, hence the price tag. And the new Canon um, EOS R3 that came out is, I believe, $6,000. And it's in a similar arena as well. Those are all cameras kind of geared towards sports photography. The A1 could be argued as not being a sports camera because it's built on a 50 megapixel sensor. And sports cameras typically are. 20 to 24 megapixels. And the reason is, is because it's all about speed. Um, It's about autofocus accuracy, autofocus speed, and being able to shoot a photo and get it to the press immediately. I mean, when you log on to ESPN and you are looking at a live photograph from an update of an NFL game, Tom Brady's just throwing a pass to Gronk in the end zone, and you're online to check the scores and you see a picture of Gronk doing the toe tap in the back of the end zone, that photo got to the network immediately fast enough to get online for you to get a real-time update. That happens a lot of times because the cameras shoot at lower megapixels. The lower megapixels allow you to get the photo shot and sent to the network in a quick amount of time. Higher megapixels tend to slow that process down. So you could in some ways argue that the A1 is not targeted towards a sports crowd because it's a 50 megapixel camera. That being said, you can shoot it in a lossless compressed RAW format or a um, compressed JPEG or HEIF. I don't know how they uh, pronounce it. I don't know if you call it HEIF or HIF or <laughs> I just spell it out and call it HEIF because uh, to me, that's a safer um, that is a safe safer bet because <laughs> I don't have to worry about pronouncing it wrong. But anyway, that is like a more compressed JPEG. That's going to be the new JPEG in the future, um, and it can shoot to files like that that are still 50 megapixels, but they're highly compressed, so you can get them to the network a lot faster. So because of that it kind of can still work as a sports camera in terms of getting images to the press quickly because you can shoot it compressed to a compressed JPEG or to a compressed HEIF file or HEIF file. HEF file? HEIF file? (laughs) Don't know what it is. Um, So it can still act as a sports camera in terms of getting files to the network fast, but it does it 
unlike the other sports cameras, it does it at 50 megapixels. And most sports cameras top out around 20, mega, uh, 20 frames per second photo-wise. This camera can do 30. 30 frames a second at 50 megapixels. That is flat out stupid. <laughs> and it can do it to 50 megapixels in compressed RAW or to JPEG or to HEIF, HEIF. H-E-I-F. <laughs> and that's insane. So if you are if you are a sports photographer and you are getting an epic shot of Gronk doing the double tap in the back of the end zone, uh, catching a ball from Brady, you can get 30 frames shot per second. Then you can dive in your images, pick the right one, send it or a group of them to the network in a compressed 50 megapixel file and still get it to the network quickly. And then later, if, you know, ESPN wants to take that photo and use it, buy it for uh, a cover of a magazine or something. They have this beautiful 50 res resolution file that they can get that from. Um, that that's gorgeous, right? So you you in some ways you have this. It's like you're you're following in the footsteps of a sports camera because of its speed, but it's even faster. It's it's like 50 percent faster than most sport than any other sports camera really. And it does it with the highest resolution of any sports camera. So it's it's just amazing in that in that way. So it's it's kind of like really is a sports camera in a lot of ways. And in fact, I have looked and seen on a lot of NFL sidelines people shooting with A1s. And if you go online, you can actually see a lot of uh, professionally published images from NFL photographers who have been using A1s to get their photos have been switching to A1s because of its speed, resolution, and the fact it's still quick enough to get those high-resolution files to uh, the press quickly. So when you look at it in terms of this is a camera that kind of is a sports camera and is competing with other sports cameras, the price all of a sudden makes sense. And then it makes even more sense when you start to talk about the other things it can do. Now, when you look at it outside of the sports arena, um, and you look at it from a wildlife perspective, it is an amazing wildlife camera. The best wildlife camera on the planet. Because again, 30 frames a second. You're talking about extremely fast photography. If you have a lion and he's just chased down a gazelle and is ripping it up, you have so many photos of that that you could shoot just to pick the perfect one. And if you have a, you know, a, a an eagle and he's diving in and catching a fish out of the water. You got 30 frames a second to get the perfect shot and you're doing it with arguably the world's best autofocus and you're doing it at 50 megapixels. And that's that's either compressed raw. You can do uncompressed raw just at up to 20 frames per second, which by the way is still insane. But you can do compressed raw at 50 megapixels of that eagle grabbing that fish out of the water. I mean, it's amazing. Not only can you freeze the action and like get the perfect shot, but you can crop in tight on it too. And that makes it not only like arguably the best sports camera, but also the best wildlife camera. And then when you add in the fact like most high resolution cameras suffer in low light, right? Most high meg megapixel cameras like the, like take the A7R4 uh, for instance. It's a super high resolution 60 something megapixel camera, but it doesn't have the best low light. And it's because resolution, typically high resolution sensors suffer from low light. The A1 doesn't, right? It doesn't. If you look at the A1 and you look at side-by-side -side tests of the A1 and the A7S3, it actually is cleaner than the A7S3 at every ISO up until 12,800, which is where the A7S 3 kicks into a second circuit and starts to beat most other cameras in the world at ISO performance. So the A7S 3 is still the low light keen, as is the FX6. They have the same sensor and the FX3. They're all three the same sensor. But the point is those three cameras are the best in low light once you hit 12,800. But do you realize how high 12,800 is? Not, I'm not talking 1,200, 12,800. That is super duper duper high. And for 90% of the time that you're shooting, you're never gonna hit ISO that high. And so for any realistic ISOs, 1,600, 3,200, 6,400, the A1 is better, it's better. And it's better on a camera that's a 50 megapixel camera. That is, it doesn't even make sense.
Like logically, it doesn't make sense. But what it is, is just the advancement in technology and the sensor design by Sony is so good that the A1 is not only a high megapixel camera, but it's a camera that's high megapixels at 30 frames per second with incredible low light performance. I mean, it's, it's the best of all worlds, really. It truly is. Then you look at the shutter speeds. It has a shutter speed of one over 32,000. 32,000 is the high shutter speed. On my A7R 3 the highest shutter speed was one over 8,000. That's a massive difference. If you want to freeze a hummingbird's wings perfectly, think about how fast a hummingbird's wings flap. You can freeze that on the A1 and do it at 50 megapixels with a higher ISO because it can handle it. And you'll need that higher ISO, right? Because you're going to be using such a fast shutter speed. You're going to need a higher ISO to make up for the difference. So you're going to get a clean shot, higher ISOs, perfectly freezing the action thanks to high shutter speed. And again, 50 megapixels. It's just insane, guys. I mean, what an incredible photo camera. It's just incredible. Human eye autofocus, animal eye autofocus, and bird eye autofocus. And it works really, really, really well. The autofocus is amazing. You've got touch tracking. You've got the joystick for doing, um, you know, doing... Uh, uh, shifting like a, a flexible spot point, things like that. And, and the A7S III and all these other cameras have that as well, but you have all of that on a camera that's just so incredible in terms of speed, resolution, low light performance, and shutter speed. So it's just, it's an incredible camera. And like the A9, you can shoot electronically all the time. You know, a lot of cameras, like the A7R III, for instance, if you put the electronic shutter on, it would give you a quiet shutter, but it would so, you know, quiet shutter, for those of you who don't, don't know what I'm talking about, you, you have this silent shutter option where you don't hear the of a camera going off. And that's great if you're shooting photos of uh, at a news conference where you want to be quiet, or maybe you're shooting photos at like a wedding or something and you want to be quiet, or maybe you're shooting wildlife photos and you want to be quiet. But the issue is most cameras, when they have an electronic shutter on, they suffer from rolling shutter or banding in certain lighting conditions. The A9 was Sony's only camera in the lineup, the A9 and A9 Mark II, that could shoot with an electronic shutter that did not have the banding issues in lighting conditions and that did not have the rolling shutter issues. And that was until the A1 came out. It's just like the A9. So you can shoot with a mechanical shutter or you can shoot with an electronic shutter and the electronic shutter doesn't suffer from any of those problems. So if you want to use it all the time, you can, no issues. So you can shoot silent all the time, all the way up to 30 frames a second. <laughs> no issues. Just amazing, just amazing, amazing, amazing. And so far, I've only talked about the photo points. You know, I'm about to get the video, but before I end up with the, in the photo points, I'll also say this. It shoots the CF Express Type A cards, which are blazing fast. And I've said on this uh, podcast before that in CF, with CF Express Type A cards, I can dump 160 gigabyte card in five minutes, which is the difference between... Uh, ending a shoot and staying up, you know, several hours dumping footage or ending a shoot, dumping all your footage in, you know, dumping four cards in 20 minutes and then making it down to eat dinner and going to bed early. That's a real difference in the real world. So it shoots these CF Express Type A cards so you could dump your files super fast and move on with your day. But on top of that, because it shoots the CF Express Type A, it clears the buffer really, really, really fast. So if you're shooting 30 frames per second at 50 megapixels, and camera doesn't freeze up and say, you know, clearing buffer or anything like that. It's so wickedly fast with the processor and with these faster cards that you can shoot really, really fast at high resolutions and it will still clear the buffer really quickly. So you can keep on with your day and keep shooting and not have to worry. You can shoot hundreds and hundreds of photographs in seconds without having to worry about filling the buffer up. Just flat out amazing. So from a, from a photo standpoint, outside of medium format is the best photo camera in the world. And I dare you to argue with me. I dare you to argue with me about that. Because it's the best at everything. It is the best photo camera money can buy. The only thing that would be better in it would be medium format. And medium format is terrible for wildlife because they don't have long lens medium format options. And it's terrible for speed. Medium format's really only good for portraits or landscape type stuff. But this can do portraits in landscape extremely well too because it's still 50 megapixels and it has a pixel shift mode if you are shooting landscape by the way that gets you over 200 megapixels in one photograph so i, I find it hard to, to find like a reason for medium format because if you want something with super high resolution use pixel shift mode i mean there's really nothing that the a1 cannot do 
and from a photography standpoint. So if you ever wanna know why it's $6,500, it's because it's the best photo camera in the world. That's why. And we haven't even gotten to the video yet. Now let's, get, let's go to the video. Now that we're here, from a video standpoint, it shoots 8K 420 10-bit at 400 megabits per second at the highest bit rate to uh, 30 frames a second. And it looks amazing. And it's not 10-bit 422, it's 10-bit 420. However, by the time you shoot 8K, the odds of you delivering an 8K file are very slim. So if you shoot to 8K and you want to deliver to 4K, by the time you scale that down, you're not going to really be missing the 422 anymore because the extra resolution has captured more color information and more detail. So by the time you scale it down, you've kind of got your 10-bit 10, 10 422 back anyway. So at 10-bit 420 is good enough. And it keeps the file sizes at a reasonable size. You can shoot 10-bit uh, 420 at 400 megabits per second and get um, up to 52 minutes on a uh, CF Express Type A card, um, 160 gigabyte CF Express Type A card. Or you can shoot to um, 8K at 200 megabits per second. It's half the bit rate. I would recommend shooting to 400. If you're gonna go to 8K, go ahead and go out to 400. But if you wanna shoot it to a little bit more compressed codec, you can do 200 megabits per second and get 100, excuse me, an hour and 41 minutes on 8K if you go that route. Point being, you can shoot 8K on this and it not eat up a ton of data. For comparison's sake, if you shoot 4K um, at, uh, XAVCSI, 4K24 at XAVCSI at 10-bit 422, you will get uh, excuse me, one hour and 25 minutes. So it, the highest bit rate of 8K will give you 52 minutes on a 160 card, and the highest bit rate on 4K will give you an hour and 25 minutes. So you're still getting about uh, somewhere in like 75% of the amount of storage space um, with 8K that you would in, in the highest quality 4K. Point to that is that you can shoot an 8K and it not eat you alive in data. You don't have to say, oh my gosh, I'm only gonna get like 10 minutes on this card. No, you can get almost an hour on a 160 gigabyte card. It's a long time. And the camera doesn't overheat, right? Like. It can overeat in 8K if you, have the, if you have the screen shut on the body and you are filming in 8K for like an hour and a half, it, it'll eventually overheat. Most, most test shows it overheats at about an hour and a half. But guys, it's an hour and a half. Who's shooting an hour and a half of 8K? Nobody, right? Nobody is. So you're not gonna have to worry about overheating in 8K the way the R5 does. And if you wanna shoot in 4K, you can shoot continuous for forever, there is no overheating issues in 4K. It only overheats in 8K and only after like an hour and a half. And again, you're not gonna do an hour and a half of recording 8K straight anyway. And even if you did, the, the cool down period is like five minutes and then you're back up to another hour or so. So I mean, there's not this camera doesn't have an overheating problem, right? And then if you, let's talk about the 4K options. In 4K, you get 10-bit 422 4K at higher bit rates, 240 megabits per second at 24 frames, 300 at 30 frames, and 600 at 60 frames, and over 1,000 at 120 frames. So you have a lot of high, uh, high bit rate options, so there's a lot of detail in your 4K shots. And it does 4K, at 10, like I said, at 10-bit 422, all the way up to 120 frames per second. That's a lot. A7S 3 can do that, um, but this can do it in full frame and crop, which the A7S 3 cannot do. The A7S 3 is full frame 4K only. This is full frame 4K or APS-C crop 4K. So you can put this camera in crop mode and have a 1.5 times crop on your lens. So if you're filming a fox in the Arctic and you're getting a really cool shot of him jumping looking for a mouse in the snow and you want to get a little closer, you can jump into 4K crop mode and still shoot a 4K file in APS-C crop. And here's the thing, because of the way it works with the sensor, it actually is cleaner and sharper in 4K crop than full frame. Gerald Undone did a wickedly good test that shows that full frame 4K, which is pixel bend, looks just like the A7S 3s full frame 4K. So you have A7S 3 quality full, full frame 4K files. But when you go to APS-C crop mode, it gets even sharper and even better because now it's not pixel bending, it's downsampling. And so it's gonna turn in you into an even sharper, cleaner file. So if you wanna get 
you know, if you want to crop in closer to your wildlife shot, for instance, you don't have to worry about losing detail. You're actually gaining detail. It's amazing. And the R3 kind of worked the same way, but the R3 in full frame wasn't as good. So you kind of almost wanted to stick to uh, 4K crop. This camera is good enough in full frame that it looks just like the A7S 3 It just gets better when you go to 4K crop. So there's no compromise there. It's amazing. And then, of course, you have HD up to 240 frames, which is what the A7S 3 does as well. And that is also 10-bit 422 at a healthy bit rate. And all of this is an XAVCI, which is a highly editable file. The only file that's not XAVCI is the 8K. That's going to be a little more compressed, which just means it's going to be a little harder to run on your computer, but it's still manageable. So if whether you're wanting to shoot in 8K or 4K up to 120 or HD up to 240, you have tons of options. And it's as good, if not better, than the A7S 3 in those options, not to mention the S3 doesn't even have 8K, nor does it have 4K crop. So you can already see how the A1 is beating A7S 3 in a lot of ways, including even, like I said earlier, low light up until 12,800. So it can not only hang with the A7S 3 in, in video specs, or, or video, not even just specs, specs are one thing, but it can, it can hang with it in actual real-world use, but even beat it too in a lot of ways. It's just flat-out amazing. And then, of course, you have all the other benefits of real-time eye autofocus and video and, and uh, IBIS and... Four, up to four channels of audio with the K3M. Now you have to split two of those channels, but you can still do it. So there are a lot of other options too that the S3 has, but the point is, is it's as good, if not better than the A7S3 in video, and it's better than any other photo camera on the market, period. And so you're having the best photo camera mixed with a camera that beats the A7S3 in a lot of ways in video. This is the best of both worlds. It truly, truly is. And so when I was looking to replace my A7R3, it was kind of an easy choice. Don't get an A7S3 and, and keep your R3 and have four camera bodies. And don't replace the R3 with an S3 that... Um, is going to give you two low megapixel photo cameras. And don't wait for an A7 IV that we don't know when it's going to come out or even when it does, when it's actually going to be available or what it's even going to have in it when we know it's probably going to be crippled. Don't, don't do any of those options. And don't certainly don't get the stupid FX3. Go ahead and get a camera that's available today that's the best photo camera in the world and one of the best video cameras in terms of mirrorless cameras that money can possibly buy. It is an A7S 3 and then some, and it is the best photo camera too, all mixed in one. So if you ever question the price tag, don't, because it's absolutely worth it. And I have not used it on a project yet, but I have read and watched a ton about it, and I have one now, and I have definitely messed around with it. I shot photos with it last night. I did some preliminary tests and video, and I set it up. I spent three hours dialing in the settings because I don't know if you've, for those of you who've never shot with these newer cameras, especially Sony, there are a lot of options and a lot of customization options, which is great, but it takes a while to set up. So I've already spent the time. I set up the settings just like my S3, um, and then I went on and tried it out for some photo and video stuff, and I'm just absolutely floored. The last thing I want to say is just, to me, a camera needs to be a usable tool that doesn't have compromises, and the A1 is a camera without compromises. That's the best part about it. It doesn't have gotchas. It doesn't have any weird issues. You know, when you look at like the EOS R5 that Canon released, it had a lot of headline grabbing, attention grabbing features, but how many of them were actually usable? The camera constantly overheated, constantly. Plus, even after it overheated and you turned it off, you had to give it a cool down period and it took a long time to, to work through. It was terrible, right? Or you look at cameras like the Sony a7R4. It's a great high-resolution camera, but it's terrible in low light. It just has terrible ISO performance. Or you look at cameras like the 1DX Mark III. It's a phenomenal sports camera, super fast speeds. However, it has to shoot at lower resolution stills in order to be able to achieve those speeds. All of those cameras have compromises of some sort. And that's what makes the A1 unique. It is a camera without compromises. If you want to shoot in 8K, you can for a long period of time. If you want to shoot in 4K, you can. 
no issues. If you want 4K full frame, you have it. If you want 4K crop, you have it. If you want to shoot sports speeds, you have it, but yet you have it at higher resolution. And if you want low light, you have it. There's no compromises, none. The only problem I can find with the camera is I wish it had a flip out screen like the a7S III has. Now, I don't understand why they didn't put that in there. I love the a7S III's flip out screen. I think it's amazing. And I wish this had that too. But that's really it. I mean, it's, that's it. It's a camera without compromises. It's a tool you don't have to think about. You just pick it up and use it. And that's, that is what makes it a great tool. That's what makes any tool a good tool. Well, you can just pick it up and use it. And that's what this camera does. It's amazing. You don't have to think about anything. There are no problems. There are no compromises. And that is the biggest thing about it that makes it worth its price tag. What an amazing achievement by Sony. That is why I bought the A1. And I'm going to keep the A7S III because it's an amazing B camera as well. Both of these are going to cut very similar to the FX6 and allow me to have three cameras that can all shoot with Sony's newer color science, that all shoot to a flavor of XAVCI, that all have a Cinetone, and then some. All of these cameras are going to live stream well together. All of these cameras are going to cut together well for interviews. And all of these cameras are going to work really, really well when doing my traditional three camera shoots. So that is why I bought a Sony A1. I think it's one of the best cameras that money can buy. And it is not necessarily the best camera in the world. I've said this many times before. There's no such thing as the best camera, only the right camera. And so this is not the best camera for everyone, but it's going to be the best option for a lot of you. And it's the best option for me as a, the third tool or third camera for my arsenal. And I'm so glad I got one. And thank you to Texas Media Systems to helping me uh, get one so quickly. Thanks guys for listening to this podcast. If you want to know more about the Sony A1, what it can do, what it cannot do, which is not very much because this is a camera without compromises, go to Filming with Josh, ask your question there, and we'll try to get to it as quickly as possible. I would I want to encourage you guys to follow the podcast. Please like and subscribe it or rate it too. I would love to get some more ratings and I appreciate your time and I look forward to seeing you guys next week. See you then. To learn more about Rustic River Media, visit us online at rusticriver.media. Thanks for listening to the Filming with Josh podcast. Catch every episode by hitting subscribe today.